Deb Shriven here. What's healthy we are. I am really excited because I have an awesome segment for you today because I don't know about you, but I am getting sick and tired of the CDC changing the rules up on me every day. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Scrub everything down, sanitize, wash your hands, wash for an hour, do this, do that. And I think it can be really confusing for a lot of people. So I thought that I would just take a minute and talk about cleaning surfaces. This is called fomite transmission, and we're talking about the transmission of viruses, especially the coronavirus or COVID-19 or the coronies or whatever you want to call it. But I know there's been a lot of change in and as we've learned, as we've gone through this pandemic and, you know, how we can transmit this virus and how we can keep ourselves safe. So I want to talk about surfaces because I think that's a big thing for a lot of us. How much do we have to sanitize? How much do we have to scrub? You know, why is there a shortage of these Lysol wipes and Lysol spray and this and that and the other thing, which I don't know about you, but in my grocery stores, I'm slowly starting to see our shelves fill back up with the wipes and the sprays and the sanitizers and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, this is an important one. And um, today, what we know is this. We know that it does kind of depend. It depends on the environment you're in. Are you in your home? Are you in an office building? Are you in a hospital setting or a doctor's office? And because there's such a huge difference in those settings, the answer to this question is going to vary. So, you know, for an office like mine or a hospital, we sanitize between every patient and we really wipe these surfaces down because we see so many people coming in and out and coming in and out. I know that at home, the CDC's new recommendations are if you just wipe down these surfaces with warm, soapy water at least once a day, you should be fine because they're, they're starting to find out that we're not transmitting as much as we thought we were via the surfaces. I know in the beginning it was the temperatures, the hot surfaces outside. I know there's a lot of confusion still around that, but if you're in a high traffic area, I would recommend wiping down those surfaces more often. If you're in a low traffic area, I would say once a day is probably adequate, especially if it's just you and your family and you're staying home. And so you're not going so crazy spending time and energy and money wiping down these counters and these hard, hard surfaces and not really having to do that. Um, the other thing is, is how long has the virus been sitting there? So if you have, and, and how much of the virus is there, okay? So if you have a big amount of virus on a surface, well, then there's more of a chance that you're going to pass it, and then you want to sanitize it more deeply. Um, if it's only been sitting there for, you know, a few minutes, it's probably more contagious than if it's been sitting there for a few days. So you really want to take all of these things into account when you're thinking about how often, how much, what do I have to use when I'm sanitizing these hard surfaces? Um, the other one that I think people really forget about is, you know, what kind of ventilation is it being exposed to? So are we exposing it to ozone like we do in my office every night? We leave and we ozone the air in the office 
surface and all the surfaces? Or are you using a UV light, which kills viruses and bacteria and those kinds of things? And that, I think, really plays a big part in this as well. So I would say use moderation. Just know your environment. Be aware. If you, know, if you think there's an exposure, use a deeper cleaning agent. If you don't, then I think warm, soapy water is probably adequate to get you through that. I do have a question that came in from Eleanor, and she says, I heard that you can sanitize things with Kangen water. Is that true? Eleanor, that is an awesome question. The answer to that is yes, it is true. Kangen water machines are alkaline water machines, and they have different settings, and all of those different settings do all kinds of really cool things, from being able to soak fish or meats or vegetables in it to pull out the toxins, to get the fishy smell and, and taste out of fish, to being more acidic and cleaning off surfaces. I know in Japan, they actually use kangen water to clean the operating room surfaces, which is, I think is kind of cool, instead of such harsh chemicals. Because what we do know is that there's a lot of different things that people are struggling with now because of the harsh chemicals that we've had, because of the, the gloves we were wearing and the masks that we were wearing and the stuff that we're inhaling and the chemicals on all of our surfaces. So. If you have an opportunity to use something that's a little bit more natural, like Kangen water, and the acidic um, level is really where we get the cleaning. And you know what? There's all kinds of really cool charts. I have a great chart downstairs in my kitchen area um, on Kangen water and how to use it and what alkalinity we should be using for what um, thing we're doing. So that's kind of a cool thing. So that's a really great question. And I think using Kangen water to clean is actually an excellent way to reduce some of the chemical exposure and the side effects from the chemicals that we're being exposed to, especially in the last 15 months or 16 months with this pandemic. I also want to talk about just letting go of what the perfect diet is and how do we even know what the perfect diet is? And I've, I talk about this a lot because pre-pandemic, I traveled all the time. During the pandemic, I did travel a little bit and hopefully we're going to be post-pandemic here soon and I will be able to pick up traveling as much as I was and speaking around the world. Um, I'm actually scheduled to speak in Europe in about four weeks and hopefully it's going to be open and I can speak there. But if not, it'll be pushed off to um, probably September, October. But I think it's really important because we have to eat, right? Food is our fuel. It's what is supposed to keep our bodies functioning. It gives us the sugar and the to go into the cells and the cells can break that down and use it for energy in a healthy body. But my point is, is that we as human beings, we really, really need to eat. And I think some of us are just trying to make good choices and trying to do our best. And um, we just can't be perfect all the time. And being perfect is not attainable and it's not sustainable. And I think that's an important point. Really hear me. It is not attainable and it's not sustainable. I tell my patients all the time, you know, you really got to follow the 80-20 rule. If you are healthy 80% of the time, the other 20% of the time doesn't matter as much. I know we have to work on getting you to the point that you are healthy so that you can follow that 80-20 rule. And you know what? If you're just a day away from being able to eat a little something that's not perfectly healthy for you, it makes you much more compliant. It makes it more sustainable for you so that you can live a healthier life and have a healthier diet. I have a question from Katie on this topic, and she says, can I just do my diet on weekdays, then have fun on the weekends? And I'm going to give you an answer that you might not be expecting. 
If you follow the 80-20 rule and the 20% is on the weekends, then yes, you can kind of blow it up a little bit, blow it out a little bit on the weekends and during the week, you know, you can be much healthier. The person that is healthy can definitely do this. Someone who is trying to nourish your organs and fix intestinal permeability and heal your gut and somebody who has Hashimoto's or hypothyroid or hyperthyroid or type 2 diabetes or prediabetes or high blood pressure or high cholesterol or whatever it is that you're struggling with, you may not be at that point that you can be, you know, healthy 80% of the time and not healthy 20% of the time. So everybody's body is a little bit individualized. And Katie, I love that question. You do have to be careful because that can be a slippery slope. You know, you go, oh, I'll just eat bad today. Oh, and then it's tomorrow. Oh, and then before you know it, you're back to eat, you know, the 20-80 side, right? Where 20% of the time you're healthy, maybe, and 80% of the time you're not. So just watch out for that slippery slope because it can really, really get you. I do want to talk about um, our European breakfast versus our American breakfast, or really a European diet versus a American diet. And I say this because when I was talking about traveling, I see a huge disparity between the foods that were offered, the quality of the foods, the type of foods at the time of the day that they're offered versus here in America. So in Europe, it's interesting because I remember traveling and thinking, gosh, you know, veggies at breakfast, this is awesome. This is what I tell my patients to do all the time. And this is what everybody does here. I remember seeing the most beautiful buffets with beautiful fruit platters and veggie platters and meat platters, like really meat platters, like, like roast beef and turkey and chicken and all kinds of things at breakfast on their buffets and then at lunch and then of course at dinner as well. And I, the thing that really just struck me was that it is just vegetables too at all meals and not just fruits. And I think that's really important because here in America, it's, you know, Captain Crunch and Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And I don't know what the cereals are today, but cereals and the breads and the genetic modification of the flour that we use to bake our breads and our sweets and our croissants and all those kinds of things um, really does differ. And I think that's an important point to make as well. The quality of the food most of the time in Europe is much better than the quality of the food that we get here. Everything here has pesticides, insecticides, herbicides, fungicides, genetic modification. And in Europe, they, their governments don't let them do that. And so, although I will say, baby, it's starting to change a little bit, but for the most part, they're not. And, you know, an example of this is my husband. When we travel, my husband has a gluten allergy. Here in America, he cannot have anything gluten. When we go to Europe, he can eat everything that has gluten in it, and he doesn't have any problems. He doesn't have diarrhea or gas and look like he's nine months pregnant. He feels good and his energy is still great. He can sleep great and he doesn't put on weight, which is another big thing. How come Europeans, you know, eat they eat these sweets or they eat some of this um these carbs more more than sweets, but these French breads and these beautiful rolls and things like that. But they're not hugely overweight and obese like we see here, which is epidemic in our in our country. So I think that's really an important thing um, to talk about and an important distinction to make between Europe and the United States and our diets. Um, I have a question that just came in from Janice and Janice asks, what is a good fruit for breakfast? I think that's a great question because, you know, it does kind of vary. 
person to person, but something like grapefruit or strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, the berries, those fruits are lower on the glycemic index. If you don't have any sensitivities to those, those are great. Of apples, those are lower on the glycemic index as well. So if you're worried about blood sugar, those are great things for you for um, the morning for breakfast. But if um, you're not worried about that, anything, sky's the limit with the fruits, just you know, watch your blood sugar. You wanna make sure that it doesn't go up. And if you're eating whole fresh fruit, you're getting the fiber that goes with it. So it typically does not raise your um, blood sugar, like if you drink a glass of orange juice, that will that will spike your blood sugar even faster than a can of Coke will, because oftentimes we pull the fiber out and it's just the juice and it hits our blood sugar quickly. So, I hope I answered your question, and um, I think that was an excellent question. Um, I know that's all the time I've got for today, so thank you for joining me today. If you want to email me, you can email me at feelbetter@lakepointwellnesscenter.com. Or you can um, check out our website at feelbetterhere.com. Or if you're old fashioned like me, you just want to pick up the phone, 770-974-5215. We do telemedicine and we are wide open seeing patients, still keeping everybody safe. And you can just come on into our center and check us out. So until next time, love and light, health and happiness. Bye-bye. <laughs>